You are listening to Pandemic Poetry. My name is Silvia Canton Rondoni, and I'm your host at Buroni Date Radio Station. This week we have a spoken word performance, How to Lose Money and Entertain People, a manifesto by poet Dominic Howey. This poem appeared in his poetry collection, A Thought We Will Be Famous, published by Dead Bear Books in October 2019. After a chat about the poem, we will talk to Dominic about how his poetry collection came together. Our reading this week is How to Lose Money and Entertain People, a manifesto by poet Dominic Howey. Content warning. Please note the following poem contains swearing. How to Lose Money and Entertain People Manifesto. Number one, fuck cliches. Avoid oceans when depressed and sunsets when in love. Fuck rewriting dogma and fan fiction of the new hot literature style that nobody's even sure they like. Number two, become a thief. Break into poets' houses and rip pages from their notebooks. Eavesdrop on the homeless. Catch the bus and record conversations of people breaking up on their phones. Fill in the blanks later. Rewrite your favorite film as a haiku. Turn song titles into opening lines. Hang a possum trap over your bed. Dissect dead dreams every morning. Number three, make peace with dying poor. Advertising executives are not creatives. It's like calling landlords architects. Refrain from middle-class dreaming, centralist politics, anemic blood money, bankrupt institutions preaching painless pragmatism, academics with isolationist theories, unintelligible essays stapled to unreadable poems. They are all graveyards. Number four, celebrate failure. Buy balloons and cake and illegal fireworks. Make cut-up poetry from rejection letters and post them back to the dead-eyed bureaucrats who sent them. Take risks, gamble everything and pray to whatever God will listen that it works out. Walk away laughing when it doesn't. Befriend your mistakes and follow every stupid idea to its logical conclusion. Number five, find your voice and scream until they call the cops. The personal is universal. Your point of view is the only thing you own of any value, so live a life and take notes. Remember, your job is not to be objective. Your job is to make the mundane poignant and beautiful and hilarious. Number six, write something that scares people. Power structures are built from silence and false promises. Everything's political, including landscapes, rhyming couplets and pastoral musings. Pick a fucking side. Only confuse people you hate, celebrate loved ones in your work, even especially if they have savings or a heat pump. Be wary of gatekeepers dressed as failed artists, corporate money equals death, etc. Number seven, quit your job. Tell your boss you need time more than money. Walk everywhere, learn to love baked beans. Shoplifting is both easy and rewarding. And if you find yourself stumbling down the middle of the street one night, drunk with one shoe on, screaming, I didn't sign up for this, refer to point three. Number eight, work harder than everyone else. The first draft of anything is shit. So is the second and third. Practice until you hate your words. Practice until you forgive them. Number nine, learn to love your subconscious. There's a sewer of LSD running through your skull. Live in dream logic. Ask a dog what it thinks about the economy. Number 10, don't give up. The only thing standing between you and your heroes is time and work. You'll always worry you're not good enough in between feeling like a god. So write the stories you want to read, sing the songs you want to hear, feed the fires you want to burn. And after that wonderful poem, I'd like to introduce a poet this week, Dominic Hoey. 
He's a poet, author, and playwright based in Auckland, New Zealand. His latest poetry collection, Arthur Will Be Famous, was released in October 2019 through Dead Bird Books. Thank you for joining Pandemic Poetry at Warani Radio, Dominic. Uh, thanks for having me. How you tell us how this poem came together? Yeah, so I did a, a writing workshop a few years ago, and um, one of the people that had done the workshop before me, it was all different creatives, and one of them was a, a painter, and he had done a kind of like a manifesto, but it was really simple. It was just kind of like, um, I guess his kind of philosophy on a painting. Mm-hmm. And so I did one for that, and it was much more, it was much less of a poem. It was just kind of like, I guess, my main tenants for writing, and it was actually 15 points and um afterwards i was like that's actually a really cool format for poems so i went back through and i guess i sort of took the idea of giving people advice for writing but really i guess it's more like advice for life as much as anything else you know yeah absolutely um and i I, one of my big philosophies for poetry is taking forms that already exist whether within poetry or or just in life and subverting them into poetic forms Mm -hmm. Because I find that way, it's like you take something that already has a structure and language and you, you create something new out of it. You turn it on its head, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, that's, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's something I always try and do. That's interesting. Um, last week, we spoke to Megan Riddell, an Australian spoken word poet, and she gave us a bit of a glimpse of what her process was like. Um, she didn't have a poetry collection like you do. Could you give us a bit of an idea of... Um, what was it like um, considering that you used to do, you, you are an MC battle and a slam poetry champion, I believe. Yeah, a long time ago, I used to, um, used to do both those things. But yeah, I, I, I still perform a lot, but um, I don't do slams or anything anymore. I, I kind of feel that competition is the antithesis of creativity, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it's obviously contentious and a lot of people probably don't agree with that, but I, I think that like competitiveness suits certain types of personalities. And, and, and that's actually my personality too, because obviously I used to win those things, but I used to see that a lot of other people I knew that were super talented, they might not win a battle or, or, or slam, but then their, their creativity is amazing. And so I think more and more I gravitated away from those communities, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you think uh, there is, well, I think there is, but I'd like to know what you think about it. I think your poem is, it feels very, very current, especially in the COVID times that we're living now, that it's almost like all the rules and all the usual narratives are off the window with everything that's happening with the pandemic. You think we can apply those, those rules to the world we live in now, to the new normal? It's the rules from the manifesto? Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess, like, what I, like I was saying, like I was sort of like trying to, like, take rules for life, I suppose, in a way, as far as, you know, I mean, as much as, as, as anyone's um, in a position to give advice, you know, but like, um, and I try to s- sort of hide them in, in, in a poet, you know, as rules for writing and poetry. Um, so yeah, for sure. I mean, I think wherever you get sort of like wisdom advice from and, and, and you know, whether it's from a poem or a film or, or whatever, I think if, if, it, if it works for you, you should take it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, poets um, have always been people that sort of, you know, like if you look at aph- aphorisms, for example, I mean, they're basically little wisdoms, right? Haikus as well. So I think, mm-hmm. poet, you know, not, not saying that poets have any greater insight necessarily and that you should always listen to poets because a lot yeah. of them, and myself included, are often idiots. But, um, yeah, if, if it works for you, you should take it. Yeah, perhaps we could say we might not be very wise, but we might be just a bit more self-aware than average, you think? 
I think it's more that we spend time thinking about things maybe deeper than, than other people would because that's where we're putting our energy, you know what I mean? So it's like, um, so my friend passed recently and I wrote a poem for him, for his whanau and stuff, and everyone was like, you know, it really touched a lot of people, which was awesome, but I think the reason why I was able to do that apart from the techniques I've learned over the last sort of 30 years or whatever is because I sat there for hours and hours and thought about him and our friendship and so put those into words, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because most people aren't going to do that so much. You know, you might think about it for a while, but then you might get drunk or you might go out. You know, you try and escape it, but I guess we sort of meditate in that feeling and pain and emotion. Yeah, we kind of hyper-focus on the thing. And, and I mean, I'm not sure I, I cannot speak for everyone else, but for me it's the intensity that makes me, makes the poem come out, you mm. know. Yeah, exactly, have to be yeah. feeling that height of intensity, whether it's anger or love or whatever it is, and then the thing comes up, you know. But it takes a lot of rubbishing, certainly, yes. For sure. Well, that was great. Thank you so much, Dominic, for that. Cool. In the second segment of Pandemic Poetry, we'll focus on the process that you went through to put your poetry collection together and what the experience was like. Will you tell, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, um, so I... I guess those, that, those poems in that book were um, the oldest poem was probably four years old. And then the most recent would have been, um, there was one that was written days before it went to print, basically like, well, not before it went to print, sorry, but before the manuscript was locked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I had hundreds of poems and, and I just, I guess I just went through and chose the ones that I thought were best. And then um, my editor, Liz Breslin, she went through again and just kind of like chose, the, I guess, the ones that she had questions about, she kind of put them back to me and like kind of got me to defend why they should be there and some of them got chopped. And, and then I put my foot down about maybe two of them where I was like, no, nah, they got to be in there because I think that, um, yeah, I guess they were special. And then she put them into the, the book is in four different sections mm-hmm. um, and she put them into those sections as well, and, which really gave the book a shape because before that, you know, it's just this massive – because it's quite a long poetry collection too. It is, yes. Um, normally they are not um, over 100 pages like yours are. Like I, I published mine recently and it, was, it wasn't even less than half. <laughs> yeah, you. yeah. Well, because I guess I felt like, um, like we were talking off air that like a lot of my um, audience – you know, uh, are people that might not traditionally read poetry and are often people that, you know, might not have a lot of disposable income. So I guess I kind of wanted to give people value for money, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, no, absolutely. Um, Dominic, uh, for the audience uh, that did a listener conversation before we started recording, Dominic and I were talking about um, writing poetry from a, a different um, background kind of view because we both come from like a probably, could we say, a lower class background, not so much middle class background, and it gives you a different take on how to approach uh, the medium would you say that's the case oh for sure yeah and i think just your life is different you know and 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 your stories are different um and and it's like for a long time i sort of felt like you know i would look at more academic poetry and and formal formalist poetry and i would think maybe there was a secret that those people had and so i actually went and studied it and then i was like oh no it's just all nonsense you know so i think that you know, like learning those techniques and then being like, that's not for me, you know. And, and, and like I say, I have an audience and that's not those people. Like not to say that some of those people don't like my work or I don't like some of those people's work, but in general, it's not. So, you know, like that's, a, that's again why I don't normally publish in journals either because no one I know 
reads them. So it's sort of like, I'd rather put my stuff on Instagram or perform it or whatever, you know? Mm. No, I, I totally, I totally feel you in that. Um, I don't, I don't think I even have an audience yet. I'm, I'm turning into the game myself. Like I haven't yeah, yeah. as many years as you have. Um, but I, I try to submit things to like journals and things like that. And every time I just find myself a stumble that I prefer just to put my work together and send a page and, and work it out some other way um, directly with the publisher, then um, yeah, that having the journaling and the, it's just a very interesting world, like poetry. So I believe you are currently work. You have done some different things besides poetry as well. You have a your debut novel Iceland was a New Zealand bestseller and long listed in two thousand eighteen. And you also been uh, doing some uh, an autographical one person show. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I did two plays. Um, the first one is I have a degenerative bone disease, so I wrote a play about that. Um, and just dealing with the health system and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But it was really funny. It sounds really depressing. Um, and then the next one um, I did was about um, being an artist in this country. Uh, it was called 45 cents an hour. And it was about, you know, like um, funding, being an artist, the realities of it, because I think a lot of times people just romanticize their life, you know, but, you know, the reality of it is it's quite difficult and, and quite thankless a lot of the time. And so, yeah, so it was quite fun doing that and just sort of taking a lot of what I learned as a rapper and a poet and then applying that to, um, to the stage and to theatre. Mm-hmm. Are you enjoying theatre? Do I enjoy it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, it's like any medium. I think, like, there's aspects of it that are amazing and there's aspects of it which are, like, kind of I'm not that into. But um, I think every medium has that, you know, and it's just about mm-hmm. sort of taking the things you like and yeah. running with those. Absolutely. And just to finish, I, I would like to talk about, if you like, if you like to share, of course, about um, the work that you do as a growth worker and whether that has made any impact on your poetry or on your work in general? Yeah, um, so I've worked for a few organisations, but um, the one I work for at the moment um, and it helps set up is called Atify, and um, we work with kids who are having sort of struggles with anxiety and depression, and we teach them modalities to deal with that, like meditation and, and, and yeah, different, different types of modalities. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's like, I don't know if it's necessarily inspired like a, a poem as such, but I think working with young people and being around young people, I think it's sort of, it's a bit of a cliche, but I think it keeps you kind of fresh, you know, and it keeps you like on your toes because I think it's very easy as you get older to be like, oh, I know this and that. And you go hang out with these kids who are like 15, 16, and they'll teach you a lot about life, you know? And I think that it just makes you realize that, yeah, you don't really know shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, you know, it's always, it's always a journey. And I think yeah. once you, you think you've got to this point where you can have this sort of, you know, you sort of understanding that you, that, it's actually nonsense and so it's really amazing in there and, and a lot of them are actually really incredible poets in their own right too yeah. oh that's great maybe we should put a book together with them all and have like an anthology or something that will be something to read yeah oh, for yeah. sure <laughs> well thank you so much uh, for coming to pandemic poetry dominic i would just would like to thank our guests for taking the time to be here today uh you can find dominic's poem in uh, in his collection i thought it will be famous uh, by dead bird books and he's also all over social media sharing poems during the pandemic you've been listening to pandemic poetry my name is sylvia canton rondoni and i have been your host at Boroni radio station tune in next week to discover new poetry and poets for your new normal 